Welcome to Indoor Voices, presented by Millicare Floor and Textile Care. Join us as we explore the great indoors and talk to experts about how to improve our indoor environments. Welcome to Indoor Voices, uh, brought to you by Millicare Floor and Textile Care. Today, fun episode, we've got Nick Camp. Um, and uh, Nick has over 100 hours worth of ergonomics training from a previous company that he was at, HumanScale. So Nick, thanks so much for being with us today. For all of those who will be listening, can you give us a little bit about, about your role now and then your previous role at HumanScale um, and your ergonomics training? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you, Brian, for uh, inviting me. Uh, excited to talk about commercial office furniture today. It's, uh, it's my passion, so I, I'm all about it. My name is Nick Camp. I'm the general manager of our North Texas uh, branch of Furniture Marketing Group, FMG. And what we do is we focus on commercial office interiors. So think about when you walk into an office building, uh, the interior design, the uh, who put the, the pictures on the walls and the furniture in the space and the different collaboration areas and the walls that are up that are this beautiful um, glass framery. All that is the stuff that we really focus on. So uh, before that, I was actually at Human Scale and Human Scale is an ergonomics uh, office furniture manufacturer. So they pretty much solely focus on the work station. And, and really putting people in comfortable positions throughout the, the work day. So through my time there, I had well over 100 hours of uh, workspace ergonomics. And I, I don't pretend to be an ergonomics expert at all, but uh, went through a lot of training on being able to walk into a commercial office space and see if someone is sitting a, a way that's going to make them uncomfortable over time. Or maybe they, they experience discomfort right now. How could they alleviate that discomfort in different ways? There's so much to your body and how it works. Um, so there's a lot to it, which is a lot of fun to talk about. That's why we're here today. So appreciate that, Brian. Yeah, no worries. I think it's going to be a, what you bring is a very strong sense of common sense for the person that's sitting at their desk, which I think is going to be fun. So as a general part of the sales strategy for commercial furniture business, is there a certain like person or department at like a facility you, you normally target? Absolutely, yeah. So we normally, we work a lot with real estate, uh, whether it be end user, commercial real estate brokers, um, anything that has to do with the real estate environment where people are actively looking at new buildings, new spaces, revamping spaces. Um, within real estate, you'll get facilities uh, as well, which is an important role, obviously, with furniture. Um, but beyond that, we talk a lot to HR, human resources and procurement and interior design. Um, some companies, obviously, that are large in scope, like Microsoft is one of our, our big customers, for example. They have a lot of interior designers that are on staff there. So we'll work directly with them on the actual uh, furniture needs or um, building out the, the office space. So. Those are the main ones that we work with. The one that's been trending more and more is that the HR getting more and more involved in the chief people officers that are, that's kind of a, a new title that's coming more into fruition. So those are the people that we normally put our focus into. Okay, well, that's awesome. So with Human Scale now FMG, um, and from getting to know you a little bit, I know you're more than just a commercial furniture salesman. 
So I'd like to hear from you. How does furniture fit into the business other than its utility? Yeah, absolutely. So that's actually, you know, when I tell my friends what I do, they automatically rack out your furniture salesman. Like I can go to Haverty's, right? And like, it's a little bit different than that. Um, no, whenever you, you think of the biggest companies in the world. So let's, let's use Google. We'll pick on Google for a second. So they've had movies come out about Google. They, they have research about Google. And what do you think about with Google? You think innovative, right? You think um, very tech savvy. You think uh, forward thinking. Well, when you walk into their office space, what do you think their furniture says? Right. It, it's probably saying they're innovative. They're they're do they're setting the trend for everyone else to to follow. Right. And so when you look at furniture, it's so critical for uh, the culture of a company. The furniture needs to match the culture, for example. And another thing is you've got the retention of employees, which is incredibly important. The recruitment of employees, especially now that we're coming out of a COVID environment. The office space is is more in in light than I would say it probably has been in the last 10 years from an employee standpoint, because these companies are now having to convince their employees, come back to the office. It, I know that you've been you've been at home and you haven't had to make these commutes. Companies are now having to approach it as we want our talent back into the workplace. We've got to make it more comfortable for them to be in the workplace. We need to add resumercial uh, environment. You, you'll hear a lot of that term, especially in our industry right now. But um, so, so much of these different aspects, it's, it's all about the culture, retention, recruitment. Everything that we talk about with interior design and furniture, it's, it's trying to maintain that balance of those three. No, I like it. I like it. So, so one of the first things that I think of when I think of ergonomics is all of the new sit-to-stand desks. Since I've been working from home, I've even like worked out a way that I can sit to stand like it's it's total bootleg because I just have my desk and then I have like a podium. So if I want to stand, it's at the podium. If I want to sit, it's at my desk. It's not necessarily a sit to stand. But why are they all the craze and do they work? That's really cute that you painted the picture of how we could could see you in your your house. And I I really loved it. Um, Yes, there's the sit to stand environment that we're in, it's really taken a hold of the workplace for the past about five to maybe eight years. It's, it's become more and more uh, commonplace. And there were a lot, there was a lot of research that came out that talked about the dangers of sitting. And so there's a famous article that came out and it was saying that essentially sitting is the new smoking. And and that's that's the impact you were having on your, your body. Um, so when you look at it from that perspective, Yes, standing, that's where the sit-to-stand phenomenon came. Well, that's great, and you should absolutely stand at the workplace. Where it goes wrong is people think in many ways that when they have a sit-to-stand desk, they need to be standing all day now. Just because you have a sit-to-stand desk does not mean you need to be standing for six hours straight. What you'll find is whenever you are standing for a long period of time, you'll start to lean. Right. You, somebody might walk up to you and you, you kind of lean against your desk or you put your elbows on your desk. Right. So that's your body naturally telling you it's time to sit down. Bodies weren't made to stand in a static position for long periods of time, just like they weren't made for us to sit down and in a chair for long periods of time. 
Our bodies were meant to move, which that's really what the sit-to-stand uh, desks, that's what makes them most most powerful and makes them uh, where they're the, the employers are going to get the most bang for their buck is when they're, they're getting their employees moving that blood through their system. That's what it's really trying to do. So we worked a lot at human scale with the Mayo Clinic, for example. So there was a lot of research done. And what we found was you really want to use that sit to stand environment about once an hour for eight to 15 minutes. So you're talking about quick phone call, maybe a couple of emails, uh, pop them out while you're standing up and then sit back down. You don't need to stand there for an entire day trying to get burn all these extra calories. It, it's it's going to do the same thing if you're being static in a way. It's all about the movement. You just got to get up and down. Yeah, I know. It makes perfect sense to me. It's very practical. Um, as when you when you think about, hey, this is what my body's telling me, right, from an ergonomic standpoint. So from time to time, I might throw some questions at you that are out of left field, but I think they'll be relatable, right? So given the popularity of the sit to stand desk, how did we create the standard around what the desk height should even be? Yeah, so that's actually one of my favorite stories to tell is the desk height. Because if I were to go ask any person in America, uh, hey, how do you think, where, where do you think the desk is? Like a normal desk, any desk that you sit at, how, how tall is it from the floor? Well, the answer is going to be about 29 to 30 inches. Some people might guess that, especially if they're in facilities. I guarantee you they know that. But do they know why? So that's the question I love to ask people. Why is it 29 to 30 inches? Most people, I would say, are going to answer with, I don't know, that's that's the average of a person. So it's probably average height person, maybe 5'6 to 5'8, and it supports them the best. That's a logical response. It's absolutely not correct. Not even a little correct. So what is so interesting about it is we made desks. You got you to gotta go back in our culture, right? Our working culture. So when did desks and sitting at, at, at desk environments really start become the norm and, and really blow up? Is It was kind of after World War II. Uh, a lot of people were coming back from the war. There was more office jobs. And what, what were we working on? We didn't have computers. We had paper. Well, what are we going to do with all this paper? Right, there's a lot of things that we're working on. We got to put it somewhere. So a 29 to 30 inch desk came from, it exactly fits a file file. So two filing cabinets stacked on top of each other where you could put paper in. So the desk environment was not built for people. It was built for paper. So... A question that I love to ask people, how tall do you think, uh, how, how tall do you think you need to be to sit at a desk ergonomically? You would need to be a six foot four male in particular. Uh, for a female, you'd actually have to be taller. You'd have to be about six foot six. And it's based off of bone composition and where everything hits. So you think about that, you're talking about less than 2% of the world's population can sit comfortably at a desk environment. And, and you think about this, so it, it goes a step further, okay? So most people are like, oh, I mean, I can sit at my desk and I'm, pr I'm pretty comfortable. Okay, you might be today, but what is happening to all of our baby boomers that have been at desks for the past 30, 40, 50 years? They're having major back problems. 
shoulder problems. Uh, you, you, not even to mention carpal tunnel. I mean, you, you look at all these health issues that have come through our, our greatest generation, right? That started our really boom because they were all sitting at desks. And yes, you might feel good today, but you're going to feel how you're sitting in 20 years. And you'll feel that whenever you're going into your golden years when you should be enjoying life. And that's what people take for granted today. They, they don't understand what they don't know, right? Nobody's taught them these things. So they don't know how to sit at a desk. They don't know what comfortable is because they've been trained. Well, a keyboard should be on top of the desk and you should be sitting like this with your shoulders up here that are, are strained all day. It takes a toll on you over time. So that's, uh, um, that's incredibly important to know about. And with desks and the sit-to-stand phenomenon, one of the best things about sit-to-stand, honestly, is the fact that desks now can be moved into the correct position. Even more so than doing the sit-to-stand, it puts the desk actually in a lower position where it should be. Like, for example, if I'm in my best position, and we're, we're going to take all the other tools that I'm sure we'll talk about later of what a, a good uh, workstation looks like. Well, let's just say it's a normal desk. I am a six foot one male. Okay. So I'm fairly tall. I would say a little bit taller than average. And I want my desk at about 24 inches, 25 inches, something like that. And I'm tall. Think about all these people that are, you know, five, one, five, four, five, six, and they're sitting at these 30 inch desks. No, that's awesome, man. No. So, so with my previous question, You've turned, you know, sit to stand on its head, right? Um, so if we still need to sit, okay, and we're not easy, and we're, we're starting to contour what that desk height should be, right? Again, out of left field, what do we need to know about our chairs? Give us a little history on how far chairs have come. The, the, the task chair innovation has really come a long way over, over the many, many years, and there's definitely been some some big innovators through that process. Uh, Herman Miller, which is actually one of our competitors, uh, came out with the Aeron chair, and that completely innovated our industry. The, the Aeron chair is a classic. It was made in the 80s. It was before its time. Um, and you now look at, we're in 2021, and what chairs do for support in today's world is, is remarkable. I mean, we're sitting in chairs that they didn't even think about creating for NASA scientists back when they were trying to land on the moon, right? So, um, for example, this chair I'm sitting in. So it this is uh, I'll move over a little bit. So this back right here, it, it's a we call it a it's a fern chair, and it molds with your body as you twist and turn. There's no hard sides on it. So instead of pushing your back. You can you you feel comforted all the way through, and you feel your lumbar support. So there's a lot to to seating that is really important to understand. I think the number one thing I would want everyone to walk away with is if you're going to spend money in a workspace, the most important thing you spend money on is your chair. Having a a good solid chair with uh, lumbar support is incredibly important. Um, there was there was a funny funny story about ergonomics that came up. Um, any, you can go anywhere and, and find, oh, it's an ergonomic chair. They say it's an ergonomic chair. Everybody says it's an ergonomic chair. And there's, there's no regulation. You can call anything ergonomic. And at, in fact, Taco Bell did. 
uh, a few years ago, they created, and it was a huge marketing campaign, the ergonomic taco. (laughs) There's no such thing as an ergonomic taco, but that's my point, right? So it's very, it's critically important for people to understand what is ergonomic in a chair. Um, Having a seat pan, for example, so your seat pan where you actually sit down, having that adjustable is incredibly important. So important. People don't realize that it's not something you think of as having your seat pan pull out. So whenever I'm sitting in this chair, I have long legs. So I need a seat pan that adjusts out. Whereas the next person that comes and sit and sits in this chair, they might be a five foot person and they have shorter legs. So they, they don't, if they were to sit in this exact same chair, that cushion would then just then be putting pressure on the back of their knee and it wouldn't be supporting them anymore. It would be creating a pressure point, which would then turn into uh, different issues that you could have, like varicose veins would come up from that. Um, that's where carpal tunnel comes from, is putting pressure on things. Uh, obviously, it'd be in the knee. So whenever you you talk about task chairs, that's the most critically important piece of, of a, a good, comfortable workspace. And chairs are very personal to people. They They will... I've seen things happen that I have to take to the grave when people are trying to take chairs away from people that do not want to give their chairs away. So No, no, no. I'm on the same page with you. We <laughs> go into facilities and, and we clean and sometimes we've got to clean under desk and we want to make sure we put the same chair back at the desk that we pull. Oh, yeah. From. No, no, no. I totally get it, man. So but next question for you in, in response to the chairs. What about all the folks that have like the gigantic exercise ball? Like even my wife has a gigantic exercise ball that she uses at her desk. And she says, hey, I can move and everything like that. But is there any merit there? And why or why not? Yeah, that was a really a big trend that happened for a couple of years. And then people figured out how absolutely awful an exercise ball <laughs> is for your body. So um, it kind of goes back to the sit to stand thing, right? So if, if you use something in moderation, it can be it can be powerful and it can be helpful to what you're trying to achieve. What goes wrong is when people jump on and read these articles about if I sit on an exercise ball, it's going to engage my core and I'm going to be able to burn a thousand calories in a workday. That's where these scientific studies you, you have to be very careful where you find them, right? So there is no human body ever created. That can their core can support their body throughout a day. There's it just doesn't happen. So what happens is you sit on these exercise balls, and people sit on them for let's call it six to eight hours, right? So about the first five to ten minutes, you are actively engaging your core. So that means you're you're getting a little bit of a burn. You're feeling it a little bit. Your body is is getting tested. And that's that's great, right? That's exactly what you want. Well, then what happens when your core gets tired? What's going to take all that pressure? Your spine, right? The rest of your body is going to, is going to settle instead of being tensed up and tight and pushing back. Everything's going to settle in and you are going to create so many long-term issues within your back, your neck, your shoulders, because all of it, you, you no longer have the support. That's why having a task chair, I just mentioned how important a task chair is. Having correct lumbar support is the difference in having back surgery when you're 60 versus playing golf every day when you retire. That lumbar 
it saves everything about the support in your body. So having true lumbar support, and I mean real built-in lumbar support in a chair, in a good chair, that's the stuff that will save your medical bills. That That's what so many people don't understand. If you go spend $500 on a chair, which I know $500 is a lot for a chair. I get it. But if you're going to sit in it every day for years, it's incredibly important to go spend that five, six, seven hundred dollars on your chair because it's going to save you thousands of dollars in medical bills and chiropractor bills and acupuncture and all the things that you're going to try to feel better. And you're not going to know why you don't feel good. You're not going to think about, oh, it's because I'm sitting incorrectly at my workstation. Nobody thinks about that. They, they try to think, oh, did I pull my back out while I was mowing the yard? Right. So it, all this time it, it builds up. So the exercise ball, I think it's it's a great thing for a very short amount of time. You just don't have the ability to support your body for an extended period of time on a ball. You've got it. You've got to have more support. No, I like it. Again, very practical, very um, strong sense of common sense. And so I've got another left field question. I can remember um, removing like the keyboard tray from my previous desk and simply putting one of those like wrist rests in, right? Putting the keyboard on top so I can type. Eventually I throw away the wrist rest. Like this makes no sense. It's not comfortable. But again, is there any merit you know, saying to the keyboard tray and to the wrist rest? Yeah. So, uh, so this is going to cause a lot of controversy because I'm about to talk the most hated about the most hated product in office furniture history, which is the keyboard tray. Everybody, <laughs> right? So when you think of a keyboard tray, you probably think of, you know, back when you were a kid and your parents had a desk and it was this wooden thing that wouldn't move and you would pull yourself into the desk and you'd hit your knees and you'd have scrapes and it was just awful and it, they've, they've changed a little bit since then, uh, thankfully, because those were awful. I agree. But the reason why those keyboard trays were invented is because of the 30-inch desk. So people started understanding, oh, okay, people aren't sitting in a comfortable state. We need, we need to do something for them. Well, they didn't have sit-to-stand desks that hadn't been invented yet. So they started creating keyboard trays. And where it all went wrong with keyboard trays and where they got their reputation was they made these static keyboard trays that you couldn't get out of the way whenever you want to get up on the desk and you're doing paperwork. They were only thinking about computer work. So in today's world, keyboard trays can be pushed out of the way. Um, you know, and one of my favorite things that I did was my wife was a huge hater of keyboard trays. So I started a human scale. <laughs> And I had come from the advertising industry and got into this crazy world of furniture. And the first thing they, they tell you is you got to have a keyboard tray. That's the, the foundation of a great workspace. And I was like, no way. Never buying into this. <laughs> they told me back then, give it three days, see what you think. So I did it. Well, my wife was like, well, you're not bringing that home. I don't want anything to do with it. Well, so... I got convinced, uh, so I went and installed it on her desk. And I was like, you've got to give it three days. It's going to feel very awkward, feel very weird. You've got to sit in it. And the reason why the keyboard tray is so impactful, I want you to think about whenever you're sitting comfortably at, the, at your couch. Where are your hands? They're down by your side or in your lap. Right? Makes sense? Right. That's, that's exactly where they should be when you type. 
They should be down in your lap, essentially, right? With your hands kind of faced inward, which is a natural position. That's ergonomics, putting you in a natural position. So I got got my wife to do it. And now we we just moved recently and I put together the desk, didn't have time to put that together, the keyboard tray, all that. I was just trying to get the desk up. I left and she was like, you're not leaving. This this keyboard tray needs to be put together <laughs> until this is put on there. So I need you to do that. So I literally was not allowed to go do other unboxing of boxes until the keyboard tray was there. Still, my wife could work. So worked out really well. But the keyboard tray, it does take some time to get used to, but it puts your your position in the in the correct posture. So you think about where I put my hands. So if I put my hands in my lap and I'm I'm typing down here, what's happening with my back? My back is now relaxing. Right. If, if a keyboard is up on the desk, where are my hands at? They're up here and I'm having to follow my hands forward. Where did it just pull my shoulders? Pulled my shoulders and my back forward. Exactly. So I'm no longer, it doesn't matter what task chair I'm sitting in. I'm no longer utilizing the lumbar support that I paid all this money for. Right. So whenever you think about ergonomics, there's really two factors that come into play for workplace ergonomics that are the, the simplest thing to always remember. You are going to follow where your hands go and where your eyes go. Okay. So if your hands are in the correct posture, let's say you have a keyboard tray, we put them down there, but the monitor is super far away. I can't see it very well. I got to be able to see so what am I going to do? I'm going to lean forward and my hands are in the right posture but it doesn't matter. I just threw everything out of whack again. So a, a big part of, of ergonomics is having a keyboard tray or using your key keyboard in your lap, either way. I mean, you don't have to have a keyboard tray, um, but and then putting the monitors in the correct position. So like in commercial office environments, what you'll see a lot of now is monitor arms has become very, very important because these companies have seen that these people like to to move things and put them to where they naturally feel more comfortable. So Brian, when you walk into an office space, I guarantee you for the rest of your life, you will look at people's desks and you will judge them because yeah. <laughs> you will, you will look at them and you'll see monitors that are stacked on books or like a box, an Amazon box shoved under a monitor or people naturally want to be comfortable. So you'll see people trying to overcome their obstacles and they don't even know what they're doing. They're not thinking, I'm trying to be ergonomic. They're they're thinking, well, this monitor is too low. I, I can't see it very well. I need it higher. Or this monitor is too far away. I'm going to pull it super close. Right? So that's why monitor arms, uh, sit-to-stand desks, and keyboard trays, are they all work together. They're all kind of in one cycle. And they're that's the, the, the different ergonomic tools that you can use that puts you in a comfortable position. Because ideally, when you're working and you're popping out emails, you're sitting back in your uh, task chair where you're you're leaning back in a comfortable environment. You're not sitting forward. Because if you're leaning back, that's when you're getting your support. Listen again, strong sense of common sense. I love your answers. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take us in a little bit different direction. Earlier, I had asked you what folks you kind of target in your sales strategy. And you mentioned HR, which was very intriguing to me. Why would HR be in the conversation at all? Yeah, I think that HR has been new to the conversation. 
Um, it's really happened about over the last about four to five years. And what companies are seeing is when they're investing back in their employees and their health, they're lowering their insurance premiums, right? So whenever a company goes and they buy monitor arms and they buy sit to stand desks and keyboard trays, heaven forbid they buy a keyboard. <laughs> trays, um, <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Um, they, they, at the end of the day, they're, they're going to get a major return on investment. Their employees are going to be employees are going to be happier. Um, so HR is getting more involved in understanding how does what we're showing them impact the bodies of the people that are going to be working at the stations every day. And then you think of HR as a big culture agent too. So they want to be involved in, does this match what we're trying to achieve from a cultural standpoint? Does this recruit the people that we want to recruit? Does this keep the people we want to keep? Um, all back to what we talked about earlier, that, that culture retention and recruitment. Uh, so HR has actually become very critical in that conversation, works a lot with real estate now, um, especially in ergonomics. I mean, ergonomics, when I was at human scale, half the people that would call me would be HR professionals saying, hey, I've got an employee that's experiencing discomfort. Can you come in and tell me, like, what can I do to get them comfortable? So I would go in and do an assessment for them just a high level one. If they needed like a full blown assessment, we had ergonomists. Um, but I could go in there and I could see, oh, well, you're hunching over because your keyboard's in the wrong, wrong spot. Your monitors are way up here. You don't have the right things that are going to put you in the right position. Um, so th it's becoming increasingly more popular in the, the conversation. So, so I'm going to throw another big idea at you. So at, at this point, we're a good way through 2021. Uh, but is furniture a big part of kind of the return to work strategy? And 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 you've been in the furniture industry a while. Has the furniture industry changed with other national events? In 2008, we had the crash. And with the crash came, um, we, we had these companies that were needing to become more profitable quickly. They had all this extra real estate. We had gotten bloated in our country in commercial real estate. So we had people that were in these huge cubes, big offices, had a lot of space they didn't need. While the 2008 crash taught all the companies, you've got to really pull it back in. And so the, the industry overcompensated and you saw really through the tens, this over densification of office space. So you saw people in benches, you saw people just cramming people in. You'd walk into a call center that was, you know, one floor that normally it should only be, let's call it a couple hundred people, and they would stack 800 in. You'd just be elbow to elbow, right? So over the past three years, the industry has kind of seen, we threw all these people together and we created more issues. We created privacy issues. We created sound issues. If somebody's on the phone and somebody's sitting right next to me, I can't really have a conversation. So the industry was already starting to trend back to kind of the medium between the let's have this big office space and then let's have all these people in it. So it was already moving back to a more medium type of culture. What COVID is doing, what we've seen is... Uh, we're going from a major open environment um, about four to five years ago 
we're seeing screens, so privacy screens come back, maybe a little bit of partitions come back with glass toppers. So it gives a little bit more privacy back to the employee, gives a little bit more space. So if the person next to me is coughing, they're not coughing on me. Uh, they're coughing in the workspace, which can be cleaned at night. Um, so we've, we started seeing that shift before COVID, but now that COVID has hit, it is a full pendulum swing. So I think that that's kind of a history of how we ebb and flow through the industry. But another part of your question is what does furniture mean now that we're coming back to the office? And I think what we're going to see more and more of is the CEOs that we talk to today, they need their people back for the most part. Not all industries and not all, um, I don't think all positions will be needed back in the workplace. I think we will see certain positions like call centers, for example, I think could be impacted in a major way. Um, I think that uh, there are certain like financial departments that maybe can work from home more often than they need to be in the office space. But the CEOs that are trying to maintain culture and retention and create mentorship programs, they want people back. They need people back in their offices because if you're not directly tied to the person next to you and whether you, if you like them, right, and you start creating that culture, that family bond, that's part of what keeps people at companies, a major part. So through COVID, we've seen a abnormal spike in job changes. So part of that could be because of layoffs, absolutely. But a big part of it to layoffs aside is people that are truly switching companies because they no longer have their friends sitting next to them. They don't know who's sitting next to them, right? You're sitting at home. So I think that CEOs are going to invest in furniture like never before. They, they want people to come back. They want that interaction. Humans need interaction. I, whenever you're sitting at home, you're not just going to randomly Zoom people for the most part. Right? <laughs> That's true. Right? You're less likely to have those like spur of the moment. Hey, have we thought about doing this? Uh, have you ever thought about like solving this issue? Those are what companies pay for. Those conversations, that's what companies thrive off of. That's where the brilliant ideas come from. And those have been gone for a year and a half. There was a recent study that came out that said when an employee is working from home, they're about 60% as effective as the office space. So part of the actual research that's been going on is, well, if I'm Microsoft or Capital One or a major company, is it worth it for me to get 60% of someone and not pay their real estate, not pay for their desks, not pay for all the amenities of an office building? Or would I rather spend more money over here, get better furniture, get better collaboration spaces, better um, conference rooms, uh, better amenities in the building and get 100% effectiveness of that employee. And what we're seeing so much of is these, these executive leaders, they want that 100%. So they're actually willing to spend more money now than they were pre-COVID. So it's it's been an interesting shift in the environment, um, but that's what we're seeing more and more of is they want to bring res residential feel more into the commercial space. You'll see a lot of, a lot more, couches that are really comfortable couches where you you're in, you're in, um encouraged to go work from that couch for the day instead of sitting at your desk 
Uh, you'll see like little breakout areas. You'll see little foam boots. Um, I think that will become more the norm, less densification of workspaces that are assigned and more collaboration areas for you to come together as a team. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. Full answers for us today, Nick. Thanks so much for exploring the great indoors with us. Um, I think you've really placed ergonomics like right on the actual building occupant and you've helped everybody from a furniture standpoint, understand that the companies are investing in furniture because they're wanting to invest in people. So big thanks to you. Yeah, thank you, Brian. I, I've, I've enjoyed the time. One last thing that I would advise everybody just from an ergonomic standpoint, you know, those little feet on a keyboard. Yeah. Take those feet down. Okay. Those <laughs> the worst things that ever made. There we go. They're awful. They kink your wrist. That's where carpal tunnel comes from. If you take anything away from me, get rid of those feet. Pop them down. There we go. So many things to think about, think about just from my workstation. Again, thanks so much, Nick. Yeah, appreciate it, Brian. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and subscribe. This podcast is an audio-only version of the Indoor Voices interview series presented by Millicare Floor and Tech Southcare. You can watch the video of this interview and find other episodes at millicare.com slash indoor voices.